All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jesslyn Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a lot to talk about today, you know, but this is a time where the political analysis and medicine and public safety and public health uh, are going to intersect today on Arab Talk because there's a lot of public health issues going on with the COVID-19, otherwise known as the coronavirus. There's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of concern, and unfortunately there's a lot of misinformation coming out about the coronavirus coming from uh, the Trump administration and DC. And part of what we're gonna do today is do some information sharing, but also talk about the intersection with all of the other political aspects of what's going on with this. It's really, it's really a difficult situation, to be honest, Jamal, because what's happening is that there's so much anxiety right now about the coronavirus that people are sometimes making decisions not based on facts or the best knowledge that we have, but really making decisions based on anxiety, which, in fact, may be making it worse. Well, uh, this is something that uh, probably a lot of people don't know that we're actually very lucky, Jess, because we have someone from the health field <laughs> right here in the studio, Dr. Jess Ghanem. Uh, so we don't need to bring someone we don't need to, bring, we, to talk about it. And so what I wanted to talk to you, and, and I think it's very important, and as you've mentioned, this is something now that is, uh, you know, on the global level, really, and especially for people in San Francisco Bay Area. So what I wanted to talk to you about is uh, myths and facts yeah, that's about good. the coronavirus, because a lot of people are getting bombarded. There is a lot of information, and then there is also a lot of misinformation, and you got you know, add to this all the clutter on the internet and people are just panicking and we're seeing the panic actually. I mean, just if you watch the stock market right here in the United States, yesterday the stock market was up by 1200 plus points. Today it's down by 1100 points. There is that seesaw effect. But there's also panic buying. Well, there is panic buying, there is panic selling, there is this uncertainty. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, our President Donald Trump is not reassuring people even when he tries to reassure people, making statements like, I haven't touched my face for the past two weeks and I miss my face. I mean, we are not getting the proper information and I think it's, uh, it's causing a lot of panic. So let's kind of clarify some of the myths uh, because you are, uh, every day you're in... Um, at uh, UCSF and your contact with uh, infectious disease infect experts. Infectious disease ec experts. So probably we should run. I made the whole list. There is a whole list of uh, myths we keep hearing. Like one of them actually is that the coronavirus is man-made. Well, the evidence for that, frankly, Jamal, is not really there. So to say that the coronavirus is man-made, I think, comes from a piece of disinformation that hasn't been verified that the coronavirus was manufactured in a top secret Chinese uh, biohazard or biochemical warfare lab. And it was leaked into the community either by accident or by design. 
I could tell you that what the experts are saying that I've been able to talk to both at uh, UCSF and other places, there's no evidence at this time to suggest that this was a human-made virus that was manufactured in order to be spread within the community. That's not how these viruses typically work. The pattern of spread of the coronavirus is similar in many ways to other epidemics and pan-epidemics that we've had, you know, in the world, whether it's Ebola, SARS, MERS, influenza. All of these carry pretty much, depending on how infectious, that is how easy it is for it to spread, follow similar patterns. So at this point, the best knowledge that we have, based on the science, is that this is a virus that looks like came from Wuhan province in China and um, has spread rapidly, and this is part of technology, has spread rapidly because of uh, transportation, trains, planes, and buses become the most rapid way for these viruses to be transmitted and to infect large numbers of people. Um, that's what we have in the modern era. Uh, back in the day, people who had close proximity, when you think about the 1918 uh, pan epidemic that killed millions of people, it was really the close proximity as well as where we were in medicine at that time. We weren't able to treat adequately and have the knowledge to treat adequately the, that pandemic that occurred in 1918 that really did kill millions of people. Nowadays, we have the knowledge, but because of transportation, uh, I call them flying petri dishes, which is what airplanes are, <laughs> or buses, or bullet trains, or cars, or any time, you know, you get large numbers of people together, the probability of things spreading and uh, being passed from person to person or community to community rises exponentially. So that's a long answer to your question, which was this looks like it's uh, not a man-made virus, but a virus that occurred as all these other viruses occur in nature. So uh, I just want to, before I, I move to the, uh, to the other myth, I wanted to talk more about this exponential spread of the disease. A, do we have all the facts about numbers where, let's say, assuming that, you know, all indications that China is the epicenter, right? Yeah. I mean, do we have all the facts and looking at the different numbers, you know, a month from now or two months from now, what are we looking at? That's a great question, Jamal, and I think part of the problem, we don't have all the numbers. Um, it looks like uh, either by intention or by just not having their act together, that it looks likely that the numbers coming out of China, at least initially, were not accurate numbers. And so it may have been misrepresented or underrepresented. You know, I'm not willing to say which it was. But there was clearly an underrepresentation of the number of people who were infected with the disease. That's number one. Number two, the, the, the thing that you need to be careful about with the coronavirus is that you can carry the virus, you can pass it on to people without having any symptoms. And that's really one of the reasons why it's spreading so rapidly, 
Because if you feel a little sick and you've got the flu, you've got influenza, you've got some symptoms, you're feeling achy, you have a sore throat, you have a fever, you have some respiratory difficulties, you think you're sick, you stay home so you don't spread it. You know, you, you reduce the spread because you think you're sick and you don't spread it to other people, you don't go, you don't go to work. The challenge with the coronavirus, as we're finding out, you can have the virus, you can spread the virus without having any symptoms. And that's really one of the reasons why it's spreading so rapidly, so extensively, and I think unequivocally all the experts are saying the same thing. The number of cases that are out there, we haven't even scratched the surface uh, in terms of what is the accurate number of people who have been infected, the number of people who are sick, and the number of people who may have died. Outside of China, if you look at the United States, it looks like Washington State is the big epicenter. At least 10 people have died from the coronavirus in Washington. They seem to be linked to a convalescent hospital outside of Seattle. Hospitals, uh, clinics, schools, uh, sporting events, any time you have lots of people coming together, mm -hmm. you increase the risk. And if this is true, that you can be infected and pass the virus on without having any symptoms, chances are, Jamal, and I'm sorry to say this, but it's, it's the best hunch of all the experts, there's a really great chance that much larger numbers of people are walking around with the coronavirus, passing it on from person to person than we realize. The good news is, if you're between the ages, if you're, if you're a child, you know, kind of a, a child without any health difficulties, up to your 70s and good health, there's a chance that even if you get it, the, you'll have relatively mild symptoms and get through it. But if you have any health problems, if you've got, you know, uh, cardiovascular problems, if you've got lung problems, if you've got any kind of chronic disease, if you're older or really young, you run the risk of getting sick and having really bad complications. The people that have died from the coronavirus, Jamal, mm -hmm. are really people who've been relatively sick or very old or both. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco. And for those who have joined us late, um, actually, I'm having a conversation <laughs> with Dr. Jess Ghanem. So we're kind of, he's doubling on his duties right here right. in the studio because uh, Jess uh, goes every day to, to the, one of the best hospitals right here in one of the best medical centers in the United States, UCSF. Absolutely. And so he has the updated news and he's talking to experts on infectious diseases and we're trying to go through a list of myths and facts. So uh, we want to clear all that clutter and misinformation that people watch on TV, uh, trying to kind of to, you know, not make people panic, but at least understand the effects, but also to, you know, we'll move on to what, what people can do. Okay, one, one of the other myths that, and you've seen that, that everybody needs a mask. You have to get a mask. Uh, actually, Jamal, I, I think um, that's the biggest piece of di disinformation. First of all, there's multiple kinds of masks. And when I see people walking around with surgical masks, mm -hmm. it's, it's sad for me because these are individuals 
who probably don't know what's going on, who are very scared, who are afraid, which I understand. I mean, but having a surgical mask, those thin masks that you mm -hmm. put over your ears and cover your mouth and maybe not even cover your nose, will have no, no protective significant protective effect for you, and in fact may increase the chances of you getting trap, sick. Traps it'll, all the exactly, it'll trap, microbes. Yeah, and you could actually get more sick. What about the argument that they say, well, if you're sick, then you should wear it because it also protects others when you sneeze. No, if you're sick, you should stay home. Listen, this should is... Shouldn't wear the mask and go out in no, public, basically. No, because if you're, if you're sick, you should self-quarantine. And the, to... Anybody who's listening in the Bay Area or beyond, if you have the flu-like symptoms, if you're coughing, sneezing, have a headache, have a fever, have stomach upset, difficulty breathing, you need to stay home. Full stop. Don't wear a mask and go to work. You need to self-quarantine. Um, even though people are saying 14 days, that's what the CDC is saying, I'm not convinced because people who have gotten better and have left quarantine, have been tested later, and have still been positive for the coronavirus. So it's the kind of virus and disease that we don't have all the information yet. So when in doubt, the two best things you can do, if you feel the symptoms, stay home. The second most important thing you can do, besides not getting sick or in order not to get sick, is wash your hands. I mm -hmm. wanna say something about washing your hands. 99% of people do not know how to wash their hands. That's right. You have to wash your hands for 20 to 30 seconds with soap and water. And here's the thing that I recommend. People are not going to like this. But you have to wash not just the palms of your hands, not just the tops of your hands, but if you really want to be uh, smart about it, you wash up to your elbows because um, the virus can stay on your body. Mm -hmm. And if you're just washing the palm of your hands, you know, you might miss the stuff that's on the top of your hands. You might miss the stuff that's on your arms because the virus can stay and survive for a period of time on other parts of your bodies. You need to wash your hands all the time. By the way, washing your hands, much better than the um, Purell's. Than the if, you know, antiseptic. Yeah, uh, if you have... And and if, if you have the uh, antiseptics, you know, Gel. the hand purifiers yeah. and things like that, that's great. Nothing beats washing, your, washing hands. your hands with soap and water. Soap and water. What about heat? Like people, like I read something that people think that if you put your hand under the heat dryer, it uh, delusional kills, kills the virus. It's delusional. Yeah, so that's one of the myths. It's a big myth. Okay, maybe maybe you'll kill some of it. Maybe you'll. We just don't know. I think it's better to go with science. Again, I know people are anxious. When people get anxious, they make things up or they do things that are not always in their best interest. The information that I'm giving you is from the CDC. It's from infectious disease experts. It's people that I've spoken with. This is the best information. It's the safest information we have. You have to wash your hands. You shouldn't touch your face, whether or not you like your face or not. You should um, refrain from being in large groups of people. Mm -hmm. um, and as I said, if you're sick, you should just stay home. What about, uh, of course, I'm going to take it to the other extreme. If you contract the coronavirus, are you going to die? I mean, there is like people are afraid yeah. about this information that if you get it 
That's it. If you're between the ages of 7 and 70 and you don't have any health issues, I'll even make it more conservative. If you're between the ages of 7 and seven and 60, for example, and you don't have any major health problems, you're healthy, you don't have respiratory problems, you don't have, you know, cardiovascular problems, you don't have, you know, any kind of other chronic immunosuppressant problems, you know, diabetes, diabetes heart, heart, hepatitis, anything like that. If you're generally healthy, if you get the virus, call your doctor, let your doctor know, stay at home, drink lots of fluids. And depending on what your doctor says, you may be able to use Tylenol or ibuprofen, but you're just going to have to wait it out. Generally, you'll do fine. It's really only the people who have other issues who are really sick with other problems that seem to be having the most problems. I read, I read the report saying that 80% of people who have uh, contracted the disease um, basically... Have mild symptoms. Had mild symptoms. Yes, it looks like that's pretty accurate. In, in about two weeks, they were fine. Yeah. And by the way, that's not that... That's not as bad as the flu, by the way, because if you get the standard influenza... That's a month. Could last a month or more. You get hit really hard. Now, the problem, I mean, that's good news, bad news. The bad news is if you have mild symptoms, you're more likely to say, oh, I'm not that sick. So I'm just going to go out and do what I usually do. Don't. Don't do that. Self-quarantine, stay home, wash your hands, hydrate, you know, just kind of you have to take it easy. I'm saying this in part because... What some experts are saying is that when the true numbers come out, we're all going to be really surprised about how much it's already spread because we're finding cases, what we call community spread, which is people who have the virus, who are sick, who did not travel to any of the hotspots, did not travel to China, Italy, South Korea, Iran, any, they just they had no travel. They had no contact with anybody who traveled. These are people who are just getting it in the community. And if that's true, there's no way to get around it. Chances are that it's spread much greater. For example, I said this to you off air. If you look at the map, as of today, it said that no one in San Francisco has the coronavirus. I can guarantee you there are people in San Francisco with the coronavirus that haven't been diagnosed. Di they just haven't been diagnosed yet. Well, let's get then to the point of uh, preparedness, which I think this is probably the most important factor that's making people uneasy. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom declared the state of emergency in California. Yeah. This is the fifth largest economy in the world. Right. You know, California to actually come up. I mean, is he taking the right action? Absolutely. And then two, absolutely. And this is the big question mark, and I think this is what's making people very nervous: is are we prepared? If you're talking about this exponential, and I'm not a mathematician, but one thing I know: when people start using exponential factors, the thing things are going to have a multiplier by what tens, hundreds, and so forth. That, and then watch. Um, you know, different um, experts talking about that we only have 500 kits across the country. At least this is information from three days ago to test people uh, for, for the coronavirus. 
So are we prepared if your predictions are correct? Okay. That have, we have far more people who will contract it in the next coming days or weeks. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Gavin Newsom, in my opinion, absolutely did the right thing by declaring a state of emergency. Now, people need to keep in mind, he declared a state of emergency, not because he's necessarily worried that people are going to be dying in large numbers. He declared a state of emergency to mobilize the infrastructure of the state and local governments to take action. Because when you declare a state of emergency, you are able to access funds, information, and resources to help prepare the state locally to take action at each city and county in, San, in, in, the, in the United States. So from that point of view, the governor absolutely did the right thing. The second question, are we prepared? Absolutely not. The CDC and the, unfortunately the Trump administration decided to play politics with this. Trump came out at a time and blatantly lied to, to the entire world and said, were there only five Americans with the coronavirus? When in fact, when he said that, we knew of at least 85 people and that it would quickly go away. It was not a big deal. Since he's made that comment, there's been an exponential growth. It's going to get worse. And so the, the big problem was the CDC was not authorizing regular doctors to test patients. Didn't also Trump, uh, I mean, didn't uh, the, actually the Obama administration had a department to kind of deal with infectious diseases that when Trump came kind of ended that? I don't think he White ended House. it. No, I don't think he ended it. I think he just shifted resources. Um, there, that, I know that story has been going around. Mm. I mean, the, the most important thing about infectious disease is that the NIH, the National Institute of Health, NDC and the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control in, in Atlanta, Georgia, that these are the two main institutions that continue to operate, continue to work, and continue to provide the best information. I just want to go back to that point really quick. Mm -hmm. Before, the CDC was saying, we're not going to give test kits out. We were not prepared because California, a week ago, only had 200 test kits. Crazy. Yeah. So the CDC and the Trump administration were horribly ill-prepared for the number of kits that were provided, but also rather than letting local doctors make the decision on who to be tested and getting the results, you had to go to the CDC, you had to get permission, you had to send the sample to the CDC, and it would take two or three days before you got the results. Now we have four-hour turnaround. We have a lab in Richmond, California, that if, you, if the lab in Richmond gets the result, gets the sample, they can give you a result or an answer within four hours, and that's the way it should be. So what does it take, do you think, uh, to end this uh, crisis or this pandemic? Because uh, just historically looking at things, of course, we don't want to take it all the way back to the, uh, the flu pandemic that killed Millions of people. 20 million, yeah. And, More. And, but then just going back to most recent events like SARS, uh, swine, the swine flu. There, there's only one answer. There's only two answers to and that. And what else? We've had Ebola. Ebola. Right. And, and I don't remember the panic that, it, that the, these, the, you know, these uh, diseases have caused. 
I know, I know during SARS that people were taking precautions and, and you know, going something similar, but for whatever reason... I think part of, it reason, is social, part of it is social media. It didn't hit the U.S. as hard as right. it's, this is hit, hitting everyone. Yeah. Um, there's only two answers, Jamal. There's self-isolation and self-containment. You have to, if you're a host and you're infected, the only way to stop the spread of this virus is to contain people. Who well, here is something before you go further, because that's why when I started talking about the testing kits, if I if I contract a, the regular flu or a, a or a tough case of the uh, cold, how the hell am I gonna know that You'll have whether I, I have uh, the flu, or I have now the coronavirus. It doesn't matter because the... And then I go to the hospital. No, they, no. If you have the, the symptoms, you call your doctor. Stay at home. And stay at home. Containment is the only way to get our hands around this. What happens is that when we have a known case, what's happening in the Bay Area right now, when there's a known case of someone who tests positive, what public health officials do, they go back and they do a forensic analysis on every single person that has come in contact with the person, and then every person that they believe came in contact with that person goes into self-isolation, self-containment. So that's the only way. Eventually, we will get a vaccine, and contrary to what you heard from the White House and from the president, the vaccine is not weeks away. The minimum time is about a year to 18 months before we get a vaccine for this. Get it on the market also. Yeah. The difference is, however, there are some treatments to... Oh, tr okay. Okay. There's a difference between a vaccine, which protects you from getting it, and a treatment to help you with a condition once you have it. The vaccine is going to take a year to 18 months. Treatments now, we're using some antiretroviral treatments or antiviral treatments that we use for other conditions. We're testing it now with people who do have... COVID-19, and it seems to be helping, those results should be out in the next number of weeks, maybe months. And so we can at least offer treatment to people who do get sick. But if you have the symptoms, if you don't want this thing to spread and get really bad, mm -hmm. you just need to stay home. You need to get isolated. You need to be contained and not spread it to other people. Well, here is the analysis and the medical advice from Dr. Jess Ghanem, who brought you basically the most Up recent updates from UCSF after talking to infectious disease experts there and other doctors. I want to shift gears here and, and Well, and talk can I about say one thing really quick? Yeah, sure. UCSF has a microsite about the COVID-19 so you can go to the UCSF website for information about COVID-19. Okay. There's the CDC website, which is actually... CDC.gov. Yeah, right. which is actually very good. Those are the two. Locally, I mean, the CDC is probably your best option right now. That's the information that I gave today is what we have today. Could it change tomorrow? Absolutely. But that's the best information we have right now. So uh, I want to shift gears now and talk about the second or for some of the first big story, which is the elections and what happened 
Talk on about Super Tuesday. That that's panic. And uh, that's another thing. That's, <laughs> that's a, another kind that's of panic. The other surprises that uh, basically with what was going on. And and this is something that we've been talking about. We've been talking about the elections. Who can beat Donald Trump? And you always have been consistent saying, you know, don't get too excited because all your assessments have been pointing to that Donald Trump will be reelected. And I oppose that kind of idea. I don't like to give up and say, oh, my God, he's going to be right here for another four years. And you've been consistent, consistently saying, I don't see anyone who can beat Donald Trump. Uh, a lot of people, especially in the Bay Area and California is different, you know, just to say, and San Francisco for sure is more different than anywhere else in the country. Uh, people here believe that, uh, you know, the Democratic Party is kind of something of the past and they're looking for alternatives. People are more progressive. They're lining behind Bernie Sanders. He won the state of California, and I'm sure he won, uh, you know, the vote right here in, in San Francisco. Yet, we are very surprised that all of a sudden someone who has been written off. Someone who is on life support, Jamal. On life support. Joe Biden. Joe campaign, Biden. And all of a sudden, he catapulted to the front of the ticket. And during Super Tuesday, one more state's won more delegates, even though he lost California. And now, which I have to say, watching the news, CNN, for example, has officially anointed, anointed, <laughs> anointed him as the winner. And not only this, the front they, runner. they basically now appointed themselves as the Ministry of Information for the Biden campaign. So there is a whole shift, right? What happened? Jamal, I think that's a really excellent analysis, and I just want to remind our listeners that we've been warning anyone who will listen that the Democratic Party runs the risk of a 2016 redux or redo, where, um, you know, the most popular, most capable, most intellectually rigorous candidate with the greatest ground game of all the candidates um, is basically thrown under the bus. And we're talking about Bernie Sanders. It's, we said that in 2016, the Democratic Party decided to forego true democratic principles and decided to anoint Hillary Clinton. And we know that the disastrous consequences of that, we thought that the Democratic Party might learn something or two uh, from that mistake and create a... Uh, a structure and a process to see that it didn't happen again. Bad news. Bernie Sanders, as of a week ago, was the front runner, was uh, polling to beat everybody in Super Tuesday, except for a, a couple of small states. And surprise, surprise, 24 hours before Super Tuesday, Amy Klobuchar uh, decides to uh, stop running for president. Uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg decides to stop running for president. Michael Bloomberg decides to stop all within 24 hours of Super Tuesday. Well, Bloomberg was after Super Tuesday. But wasn't it surprising that just before Super Tuesday that the two 
other main mainstream candidates decided to throw their support for Joe Biden at a time when his campaign was moribund, was a you know was basically basically on life support system. They were not even able to raise money, and that Bernie Sanders clearly had the edge. In 24 hours, Jamal, the the mainstream media and the Democratic machine, for lack of a better word, decided yet again. They're doing it to Bernie Sanders again, throwing him under the bus, misrepresenting what he says, misrepresenting his constituency. I mean, it's really painful for us, I know because we talked about it before becoming on air, to see the same catastrophic mistakes that the Democratic Party going through now that they did in 2016. It seems like the Democrats are self-destructing yet again, Jamal. Well, uh, and you forgot to mention Beto O'Rourke, Beto. Who, who, who basically was running around uh, marketing himself as progressive, and yet he went with the Democratic establishment endorsing not the progressive candidate, but endorsing the basically the establishment candidate right. in Texas hurting. I, I thought this actually played a bigger role, for example, than the endorsement of Globetrotter or British, uh, because yeah. Beto O'Rourke is a known, uh, you know, figure uh, right, right there. And then what bothers me just more is that there's this repackaging of Joe, Di- uh, Joe Biden, you know, good old Joe, middle class Joe, uh, nice Joe. You know, I mean, this image, no, progressive Joe, progressive Joe. He's not progressive, and, and people <laughs> are not talking about his history. I mean, this is the thing. And I know he's going to be eaten alive by Donald Trump, regardless, aside, but, but just to go on his record alone, on his record alone. Recently, he lied about going to South Africa and getting arrested just on his way to see Mandela. He was not, not once, arrested. But twice. Yeah. And then they had to kind of backwalk that thing and say, oh, maybe, maybe not. How the hell do you don't know that you've gotten arrested or not? So he made, he made that up. And then he lied about it. He lied about about his civil rights record. I was looking at the list, and and this is not a pitch for Sanders. No, but it's not. I know, for example, there is footage. There are stories to showing you in 1963, Bernie Sanders is getting arrested for protesting segregation. And then guess what? There is also footage, a passionate speech delivered by no other than Joe Biden defending segregation. So when they talk about his liberal views... I don't see it. People have short-term memory. That's right. They have just to go... It's right there available on the internet. I had to look it up myself because I don't want to go... I wanted to see the footage. And I saw his passionate speech defending segregation. That's one example. Another example, Jess, Roe v. Wade. That's right. Roe v. Wade, of course, I'm not trying, again, comparison. Bernie Sanders' footage, leading marches, marching to protect Roe v. Wade, 1981. Just, you could look up the date. 1981, you got Biden voting to allow states to overturn Roe v. Wade. Wade. 
Where is that progressive uh, record that he has? I mean, it drives me crazy when people are talking about his progressive uh, record. He doesn't have Or it. when he threw Anita Hill under the bus. That's right. That's right. And then later on, Apologize. 15 years late or whatever, regretted it. Regretted it. He threw her under the bus. She was a brave woman who basically spoke before the Me, Me Too movement, right. spoke about sexual harassment by a judge. Right. And then he threw her under the bus. And, and now he's saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that. So, so to me, this whole repackaging, if you look at it, you know. Oh, you forgot the uh, war, his war record. Voting on the war on Iraq. And being proud of it. And being proud of it and defending it. Multiple and times. And remember, he was on the other side of the aisle. That's Democrat right. against the war that most Democrats right. were against the war. And he was defending George W. Bush' fake claim and pretext to invade Iraq over weapons of mass destruction. He was right on board with and, that. And he was right on board. Uh, I mean... <laughs> People now are boycotting APAC, including Bernie Sanders, who is a who is Jewish. He's boycotting APAC. But Joe Biden is a Zionist. And boy, Joe Biden didn't have the time to go there, but recorded a speech praising APAC. It's right there online. And then when he had his interview a few years ago about Israel after the slaughter in Gaza, it wasn't like a random interview after Israel bombed Gaza, killed children in Gaza, and he said, I don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. I'm a, bro I'm a, a proud Zionist. So even when it comes to foreign policy and to atrocities, Joe Biden did not condemn the invasion of, of no, Iraq, and, and, and which caused the death of thousands of Americans and the death of a million and a half Iraqis to date. And Jamal, we're, we're not even talking about what he has said um, about lots of other policies. I want to remind you that he says that there's no better friend to Israel than Joe Biden. He said that on multiple occasions. Well, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, I mean, this is actually just a small part of it, but there's a whole record that does not show me that he represents the democratic ideal. Of where ideas, we are today. Does not represent the progressive movement and then now the big question because and I hate to be on your side uh -oh. because <laughs> I hate to be on your side because the I don't want to see the outcome which is the another four years of Donald Trump yeah but look at Jamal and, and but look at let's and, and so the, just quickly here so assuming we see the democratic machine behind him we see a Republican who's Bloomberg, anyone that tells you that Bloomberg is a Democrat is a liar. He's a Republican. He's a convenience or whatever Democrat who poured $500 million uh, for a short-lived campaign, into a short-lived campaign. 500, half a billion dollars. He, he only won one, he won once one contest. Samoa, I think. American Samoa. American Samoa, right. So now he's also going to pour, put some of his money and his organization behind Joe Biden. And then assuming, because I don't like to make uh, assumptions, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, 
you know, Bernie Sanders rallies or his campaign finds a way I don't see it. to work their way. Well, I, we can talk it, about the nitty-gritty about this, but I, I'm saying, I'm just going with the assumption, okay, he's going to be the nominee. I'm talking about Biden. Do you think the people who have voted or supported uh, Sanders will go out in numbers? Because we know what happened to Hillary Clinton. I'm really sorry to people say People who this. supported Bernie Sanders did not support her, or she got very little uh, bounce from his supporters in 2016. Uh, what are we going to see uh, this, this time I, around? I, I think, Jamal, you've put your finger on the crux of the problem. I'm going to answer the question in a short way and then unpack it a little bit. I'm afraid to tell you the ugly truth, which is Bernie Sanders supporters will not go out in mass numbers with the same passion, the same energy, and the same commitment to support Joe Biden. That's why I'm worried about a 2016 redux. I'm worried that the Democratic Party is shooting itself in the foot yet again. Now, why is that? It's because if you look at what your analysis just did on Joe Biden, it does not represent where the bulk of the Democratic Party is right now. Joe Biden supporters, by the way, if you interview them and you ask them, do you love Joe Biden? Are, are you ready to, like, do whatever it takes to go support Joe Biden? They say, no, we, we just think he has the best chance to win. That idea... Well, a week ago, they were attacking him. Absolutely. All those people who endorsed him from Klobuchar to, to Buttigieg, wherever they're saying he's a relic, you know. Here's the problem, Jamal. The new, the new um, rallying call for Democrats, the way they're going to pitch it is, we have to beat Donald Trump. That's the way they're going to pitch it to Bernie supporters, to Warren supporters, to all of the Democrats... They're not going to say, vote your conscience. They're not going to say, vote what you believe in. They're going to do the same tired thing, which is do what's best for the party, do what's best for the country. You, we got to beat Donald Trump. Now, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. We don't know. But what I will tell you is that this tactic could very well, and this is what I'm going to tell you, I think it's going to fail yet again. I don't think it's going to work. It won't mobilize. And if you look at the electoral map, the way you and I have looked at it, if you don't have the numbers the, don't add up. They don't add up for Joe Biden. If you take out the Bernie equation from the electoral map, it looks good still for Joe Biden. I mean for Donald Trump against Joe Biden. So I'm really worried they're, they're going to repackage Joe Biden. If you look at Joe Biden speak, Jamal, I don't know about you, but I worry. Well, this is something I was going to ask you because this is a clinical question, and then people probably don't like to talk about it because uh, I can't, you know, his, his, I can't his, talk about it. He's older, but I'm just saying, yeah, but this is— uh, I'm worried. It's, it's more than once, okay? And, and you know this is going to be exploited because already— Donald Trump is talking about it. Donald Trump is putting on his Twitter account a collection of Joe Biden gaffes, mixing up uh, his uh, daughter with his wife, uh, looking at someone on a, in a wheelchair and asking him to stand up. 
you know, in, in, in the crowd, uh, talking about somebody in like she's dead and she's sitting right behind him. Right. And all kinds of things uh, that show, you know, I mean, people are using the word senility. Yeah, I, I can't, and, I can't and, use and, that term. And, and, and going to a fundraiser and saying to people, I'm running for Senate when he's running for the president of the United States. Is he exhausted? Is he getting Here's what early I signs of senility? Here, here's what I will tell you. We don't know. Let me just, before you answer, but we know for sure that Donald Trump is going to say he is. Okay. I can't comment because I've never interviewed him. What I will tell you about Joe Biden, to me, he looks frail. He looks tired. He looks like he needs a nap. Regardless of what you think about Donald Trump. But here is the thing. Wait, yes. let me just finish yeah. this. Regardless of what you think about Donald Trump, the way they package him in terms of what people see, mm -hmm. he looks more vigorous. I'm not saying he is. I'm saying he looks more vigorous to people. He doesn't look as frail. He doesn't have the same. And again, in terms of marketing and packaging, I'm really not talking about mm -hmm. the, the reality yeah. of it. The way he's packaged is vigorous. And you know what the first thing he's going to say? Sleepy Joe Biden. Well, he already says that. But here is the thing. People are, I'm talking about the people, I should say, pundits. They're talking about, and they've talked about it, about how come uh, Bernie Sanders is not uh, showing his health records. Bernie Sanders had a heart uh, attack. Bernie Sanders had a stent and they're not willing to talk about Joe Biden's exactly. mental issues. Exactly. No, Why? I, well, because he's part of the machine. The Democrats don't want someone like the Democratic machine doesn't want someone like Bernie Sanders. Full stop. With Joe Biden, he's a perfect stand in. They want him, someone like him to sit in the White House so that the Democratic machinery can continue to do what it does and has done for decades and decades and decades. You even had Hillary Clinton coming out of the woodwork criticizing Bernie Sanders within the last 48 hours. It was outrageous, some of the things that she said, completely dismissive of the millions and millions of people that Bernie Sanders has been able to mobilize. Now, let's remind our listeners, we're not here to endorse Bernie Sanders. Mm. That's not, we're here to talk about the political maneuvering of someone like a Bernie Sanders who's able to mobilize people and get people excited about democracy versus this, you well, know. We'll be the, the first to criticize Bernie Sanders if he had been a liar. If he had policies that he, were and corrupt. And he had lies after lies because that's what I see in Joe Biden. Yeah, exactly. And that's what people are not talking about. That's exactly right. Well, we have uh, five minutes left. You're listening yeah. to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. And we also want to thank our viewers on Facebook Live. There's a couple of comments on Facebook Live taking us back to the earlier section. One is, uh, this is a call, this is a, a uh, a post from Beit Jala in Palestine saying, we have new cases of coronavirus here. Today they closed all the schools. Okay. So that's just to show you even right in, in that small town that they had to close all the school. Another comment just that we're getting is saying that, uh, oh, guess what? 
because they heard you talking about how to wash your hands to so the elbow and said, Muslims do that during before <laughs> prayers. So we're doing something right. Uh, that's is a great that, comment. Is that going to protect them? It's going to be more protective. It's going to be more protective. So that's that's and I'll, then and then just one uh, one uh, one one. Uh, no, no. OK, go ahead. I was going to say thanks for the comment from Beit Jala about the schools closing. Let me tell you how on top of it Italy is. They closed all schools and all universities in the entire country. Is it going to come to this point right here in San Francisco? I don't want to create panic. All I'll say is that people who can hear our show, whether you're in the Bay or wherever you are nationally, be prepared that there may become a time when schools, places of work, places of worship will have to be closed for a period of time. And it, may, it may turn out. Something uh, actually commented on before the show, and then I was thinking about, yeah, that makes sense, that for the very first time, uh, we're seeing a lot of empty seats, uh, you know, on television, sporting watching events. sporting events, basketball, and which is very unusual, even, even though our Warriors are not, not doing great, but they usually have sold out seats, and people are afraid. And then I was reading another uh, article. I think it's, is it in Italy or France? But they're holding like football games without spectators. Italy. Italy. Yeah. No, no spectators. spectators. Just watch it on TV. Now, I think that's smart, especially in Italy, which is considered a hot zone right now, that the spread, the exponential spread mm -hmm. of the virus in Italy is so bad right now that the government took this decision. I think it's a wise decision. If so, you wanted to contain it, that's the most extreme thing to do, but also the thing that has the best chance of success. So in the final few minutes, I'd like to connect the coronavirus and its effect on the elections. Great question. I mean, if we're dealing with this, still dealing with it, comes the fall. I'll tell you who it benefits. Who? Donald Trump. Well... Yeah, 100%. Wouldn't people say, well, you haven't find, found something to stop it? It doesn't matter. I think Trump's base is so fervor. Their fervor about him is so great. They will wear the fake mask to give them a false sense of protection and go out and vote. And I do believe because of the alienation that will occur with the Sanders voters, it will create yet another impediment, block, or incentive to not vote. Even even if the economy tanks because of this, I mean, we've, we're seeing signs. We know even if they found a cure, which is impossible tomorrow. It's a, it's that, a year to 18 months away. That a lot of companies have lost billions of dollars. I, I think Apple, all these companies, Microsoft, all these companies that have production facilities in China. I think I, I'm sorry to say this, but I want to err on the side of caution. I see things getting worse before they get better. And you know me, Jamal, I hope I'm wrong. But I think caution and careful thinking and being more on the cautious side is much better than, than not. Well, uh, you've been listening to Arab Talk Radio on uh, KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Make sure to follow us uh, on, on Facebook, on Twitter, and to go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to subscribe to our podcasts for free. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>